Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can always listen to our podcast at respectliferadio.com. Our special guest today is Helen Raleigh. She's a senior contributor at The Federalist, uh, an immigration. She's an immigrant from China, also owns Red Meadow Advisors, which is a Colorado registered investment advisory firm and is also an immigration policy fellow at the Centennial Institute here in Colorado. And you've authored several books like Confucius Never Said, The Broken Welcome Mat. And so, Helen, thanks for joining us today and appreciate you uh, giving us some insight on what's going on with between China and Hong Kong. Thank you for having me. Uh, so before I get too far into it, how can people follow what you're doing, you know, website and that kind of thing, so people can kind of stay abreast on this important topic? Sure. Um, people can find uh, a lot of my writings and the speakings on my website, HelenRowleySpeaks.com. They can also follow me on Twitter, HRowleySpeaks. Okay, so you're an immigrant from China. Can you talk about what it was like growing up in China? And then hopefully people know there's a big difference between China and the United States, but the way some of our business leaders and even athletes have spoken, they make it sound like there's there's no difference. What was it like growing up in China? Well, I wrote a book about uh, growing up in China, shared some family stories. Uh, the book is called Confucius Never Said. It's available on Amazon in digital paperback as well as I did a recording, so audio format. I can just share you a little a quick story. Yeah. This is, this story really represent, re, this story really represents the misery that the socialism imposed uh, imposes on people. Uh, as I go, when I was growing up, I lived under food rations because there was not enough food available. The way the government distributed food ration, it was based on age and gender. So for the same age boys and girls, a boy would get about four more pounds of rice each month than a girl. And because I, my Chinese name was actually a popular boy's name, it had many good meanings and so my dad didn't want to change it so they registered my name with the government and the government made the mistake they thought I was a little boy so they gave me the ration meant for a little boy for a while and of course one day the Chinese police came to our house just to random check and they can do that anytime they want they wanted to they do not need any warrants so you know he compare our household registration papers and to everybody present. And he realized the government made a mistake. I'm obviously not a little boy. Um, but of course, he didn't, you know, he didn't want to say the government made a mistake. So he basically told us, our family, that we have to pay the government back for cheating the system. You know, we, di- we didn't do it, but they made a mistake, but we have to pay the government back. And the way back then Chinese government allocated the food ration was through food stamps. The food stamp was not meant just for poor people like like here in the United States, but the food stamp was a way for the government to control the supply and the distribution. So everybody received the food stamp. So in my family, in order to pay the government back, we had to collect further, go on further, went on further diet, save our food stamps together in order to pay the government back for the extra rice that I been, you know, I had been taken. And I can tell you, even with those extra rice every month, I was still hungry. And hunger was a very present feeling 
when I was growing up. Well, and I think that's that's uh, a representative story that probably should surprise no one because uh, the government is for the government, not for the people. Uh, we actually did a show a few months ago on the Uyghurs and how poorly they're treated out in northwest uh, China. So, I mean, and that just continues to get worse. We continue to hear about that. But what I'd like to talk about is, you know, all the protests going on in China. I mean, excuse me, in uh, Hong Kong. Uh, that started, I think, mm-hmm. roughly back in June, that were really, you know, part of uh, an extradition bill that kind of has built momentum, and now it's other topics. What's kind of been going on there, and what's what's the sentiment of the people in Hong Kong? Well, so the if we can go back a little bit from the beginning of the year, so the extradition bill was introduced by the Hong Kong uh, the Hong Kong chief uh, Carrie Lam she introduced she tried to rush this bill through the legislature in February and people caught a wind of it and the reason people are concerned about this was back when right before Hong Kong was handed over back to China many countries were concerned that uh, because China and Hong, mainland China and Hong Kong have very different judicial system, Hong Kong follows the British judicial system, and many countries are concerned that um, you know because China's judicial system is very authoritarian, they do not necessarily guarantee you know due process and the equality before the law. So in order to maintain Hong Kong's semi you know autonomy. Hong Kong legislature, right before the handover, passed a extradition act, basically saying that uh, Hong Kong will continue to maintain its independent judiciary for at least another 50 years as part of the one country, two system agreement. Uh, that Because of that, uh, many countries, including United States, signed extradition treaty with Hong Kong, knowing that uh, people, the uh, suspected criminals they transfer back to Hong Kong will receive fair treatment and will not simply be passed down to mainland China. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So this bill that Hong Kong chief tried to pass rushes through the legislature earlier this year was trying, she tried to overwrite the earlier bill from 1997. Basically, what she wanted to do is, you know, she wanted to say, well, that doesn't you know, effective anymore. Um, you know, if China wants to, de- you know, wants to demand Hong Kong hand over anyone, you know, they w- China wanted to, we, sh- we should be able to do that. And of course, people in Hong Kong are naturally concerned because they worry about, because Hong Kong is really the only uh, free place in China. Hong Kong is the only place can still commemorating 1989 June, you know, June 4th massacre. Right. Hong Kong is the only place people still enjoy freedom of speech. So people are naturally concerned that the had should this bill pass, then Beijing will demand Hong Kong to hand over, you know, human rights activists and all, all the other di- dissidents. So that's why people took it to the street. Actually, starting from April, in June, we saw. Two million people, first one million people, then two million Hong Kongers took this, took to the streets, had a very peaceful protest. I wrote an article about it. You know, what's amazing about the two million people took to the street? The street was no litter after they walked by. 
because the Hong Kongers who are so well behaved, they actually have recycles, they pick up the litters. There was no trash can was burning. Nothing was nothing was smashed, you know, broken. Everything was well protected. Okay, in any government, when two million of your citizens took to the street to peacefully demand a withdrawal of a bill, I would imagine 99.9% of government will say, we hear you and we are, we are going to withdraw the bill. Right. That's not what happened in Hong Kong. Right. So because of that, because the because the because the um, Carrie Lam people of Hong Kong choose not to listen to the people, well, because she was not voted directly by the people, so she was she did not re, she does not represent the people. She represents the will of Beijing. She chose to ignore the people, and most most uh, protesters are very young people, young Hong Kongers. They're naturally got frustrated. So in July. When Hong Kong and China celebrate the uh, the handover of Hong Kong, the anniversary of handover of Hong Kong back from UK to Beijing, some of the protesters um, did the vandalization to the China office in Hong Kong. And then, of course, from then on, the Hong Kong police started using violent tactics against the protesters, and some protesters responded by violence. So now we're in a situation after more than five months, uh, there's no peaceful solution to this impasse between protesters and Hong Kong government. And we're also in a situation that um, you know, the protesters are now demanding more than just withdraw the bill. And by the way, Carrie Lam did withdraw the bill recently. She right. waited until recently right. to do that. But it was too little, too late. So now the protesters, they want more than just withdraw the bill. They have five demands. They want to see the uh, police brutality are, you know, being in, in, investigated. And they want a formal apology. They want a protester who are arrested, uh, do not be charged as rioters. Because in Hong Kong, if you are charged as a rioter, you are subject to up to 10 years in prison. As I mentioned, many of the protests are very young. We're talking about the teenagers in the early 20s. Right. 10 years in prison will basically ruin their life. And the protesters also want to have universal suffrage, which is something Chinese government pro- promised uh, during the joint treaty between UK and Hong, or UK and the mainland China back in 1984, which established the one country, two system uh, agreement. Well, and the problem is you have uh, you have the president, what Xi Jinping? I, I forget how to pronounce his name properly, but you know he basically uh, made himself uh, a dictator for life because he got rid of the, uh, the I think was the ten year rule, and now he can rule forever. And he's you know arrested millions of people. Mm-hmm. He's not exactly a guy you can trust to uh, to adhere to anything that anybody has said prior. Right. Well, China is an authoritarian regime, right. so it's a one-party system. And in order to maintain a one-party system, you know, their result, uh, they always resort to oppress the dissent. And they do not. They've been doing that very effectively in mainland China through the social credit system, through facial recognition by using technology to monitor citizens. And now they're doing the same thing in Hong Kong. So they're not going to back back away, and they're not going to let Hong Kongers, you know, get this universal suffrage and the freedom they desire because they are worried about. I'm talking about Beijing. Beijing is really, you know, worrying about that if they back back uh, off uh, from Hong Kong protesters, then other parts in Hong in China will asking for same thing, 
and that will challenging the one-party authoritarian rule. Right. Well, then it sets a precedent. And I think, you know, you wrote a really good article because I want to kind of get into how how the American business businesses and the NBA kind of handled this. You wrote an article called China's ultimate goal is to control the American culture and companies should resist it, which unfortunately we saw, you know, a general manager from the Houston Rockets sent a small tweet out in support of the protesters Mm -hmm. and then everything exploded. I mean, the NBA didn't know what to do because I think they get like a third of their income from China. Uh, So they were, you know, you had LeBron James saying that, you know, China's fine. Nobody else knows what's really going on. I mean, they're saying absurd things when China's human rights policies just in and of themselves are abysmal. And that's if you're looking on the bright side. Right, and this is such a shame um, for American companies and American basketball players uh, speaking on behalf of Beijing. To me, that is very effective uh, propaganda by Beijing because they basically use money as a lure to have American companies and American business people, including NBA players, to speak on behalf of them, on behalf of Beijing, so Beijing doesn't even have to justify its actions anymore. And which is also most disturbing is, you know, the Houston Rockets general manager, he's American. He, yeah. You know, in America, we we enjoy freedom of expression. He sent out a tweet, express, ex, simple tweet, nothing offensive, expressed uh, opinion. Right. And for Beijing to come back to hit him and threaten, you know, threaten NBA to fire him and then, you know, punish his team for, you know, close the exhibition and everything is just ridiculous. And, and as I mentioned in my article, you know, it, the kowtow from the NBA is really shameful because NBA game is actually hugely popular in China. So I think the NBA, yes, they got their one third of income from China, but I think they also have a lot of marketing tool. You know, China only canceled the game of Houston Rockets. You know, if China really mean business, you know, if China really fear this, they could have canceled all NBA games. Why didn't they do that? Because NBA games are hugely popular in China. Right. So they just, they just want to punish Houston Rockets, but they didn't cancel all the other games. You know, if I were the NBA commissioner, I would tell China, you know what, if you don't stop punishing this general manager, we're not going to do business with you anymore. You know, we're not going to let you show any of our games. You see what they're going to, you know, what they're going to say. Well, unfortunately, and that would involve a backbone, and we didn't see any of that. They, <laughs> If anything, they, no, there's no they, they went down on their knees and, you know, basically pleaded with China, it's okay, we'll take care of it. I mean, they basically had the NBA and some of its stars and, uh, the, you know, the president of the NBA uh, doing their dirty work for them. Right. And, you know, not all players uh, followed that, though, because uh, Shaq O'Neal. Yeah, he did um, speak out against that. He actually, yeah, he actually sells a lot of jerseys and shoes in China. But he came out, he came out and said, you know, that's not right. You know, people in in America should be able to say, enjoy the freedom of speech, say whatever they want to. You know, Shaq O'Neal is my new hero. He has much more backbone than some other players. Well, and he did it on live TV, too. So it wasn't like he just sent out some tweet in support. He did it uh, in in a meaningful way when, you know, hundreds of thousands of people were actually watching. Right. 
And you know, and and going back to the American business, um, I actually wrote several articles in the past. Um, people can find it uh, about American business. People can find it. Go to the federalist.com and go to contributors. They find my name, and they can just go down the list. It, it, it's very short-sighted for American companies to support to support Beijing's um, you know propaganda in order for some short-term gains. And look at what's happening with Apple. Yes, Apple used to make. Almost a third of uh, the revenues from China, but after China poured resources into build a homegrown uh, smartphone technologies and the companies, Apple now is only a it, it had a much less market share than it used to have than, than it used to have, and it's not even the most popular brand anymore among the top five brands. Apple is only ranked the fourth in China. The top three are all China. Uh, uh, Chinese uh, made uh, made in China smartphone brands. So this is just an example to show you. If you're gonna cater to uh, Chinese government for the small short-term gain, it's really gonna be very short-term because eventually, what you did is gonna come back to haunt you. And the better move is to take a stand, you know, defending American values no matter where you are. Well, because if you, I mean, you're looking at a country that that just oppresses the people. And if anybody, you know, is interested in looking things up, look up look up what's happening to the Uyghurs. I mean, it's absolutely incredible in terms of their surveillance, facial technology. I mean, millions of people in 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 camps uh, that they call re-education camps that look anything but. And, you know, you mentioned it earlier, just your life in China, it, it's so oppressive. So to think you're going to cow down for a few dollars, basically you have no principle. Your, 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 your moral compass is broken. And in the end, they're going to try to shaft them anyway. They're not, they're not trying to be friends with them. They're just going to use them until they can come up with their own technology and take the business away. Exactly. That's what that's what happened. That's what's happening with Apple, and that's what's happening with many other businesses in China. When you have a joint venture, um, first of all, you're not allowed in the strategic in the industry sectors. You're not allowed to have a wholly owned foreign subsidiary. You have to have a joint venture, and as part of the joint venture agreement, you ha- you are forced to transfer your technologies. And once the Chinese set side gets the technology they wanted. And they can, with all the government resource support, they can totally outrun the foreign companies. And that has been happening again and again and again. So it's surprising, it's really surprising to me that the foreign companies refuse to learn that lesson. Yeah, I mean, how many times do you have to put your hand on a hot burner to realize it's hot? But you see business after business, whether it's, you know, the entertainment business, you mentioned Apple, I mean, the NBA, I mean, it goes on and on and on, the people that cow down to it. I think one of the things I'd like to bring out is, first of all, we need to let people know why they should care. I mean, because China would like to do, would would take every inch you would give them. I mean, they would love to to rule as many people as they could. This is a communist regime who treats their people terribly. Americans should care about what's going on over there, shouldn't they? Oh, yes. Americans should care. And I wrote an article about uh, why, you know, why the Americans should care. I think the NBA is the latest example. Why should Americans care? Because if, if um, Americans choose not to do anything and not pay attention, guess what? 
and the NBA, what's happening with the NBA is a great example that Americans can't even enjoy the freedom of expression on American soil anymore. You say something they do not like, they come back to hunt you. They they want you to get fired. They want you to ruin your business. So yes, we should care. And because if we don't care, we are going to lose the the kind of life that we enjoy, our freedom right here on our American soil as well. Well, and I don't know. And if it, there are a couple of things. Go ahead. No, go, go ahead. ahead. I was just going to say, I was reading, and it I might did, have been one of your articles, that there was, uh, I think Marriott Hotels is is cowed down to the Chinese, yeah. and there was a worker mm-hmm. in, like, Kansas City or somewhere in the middle of the United States who sent out a small tweet against what was going on over there and got fired. Yes. He's actually, um, he's from Omaha. He's Omaha, a that's right. Okay, yeah. In, in Omaha, Nebraska. He didn't even send out a tweet. He liked the tweet from a pro-Tibet group. He just clicked the like, and the Chinese government made sure Marriott fired him, and Marriott apologized. Yeah, I mean, think of, so think of how long of reach China has. That's why we should care, because companies are doing their dirty work because anybody who says anything negative... There's retribution, mm-hmm. not only in China. Now it's anywhere, even if you're an American. And it's, it's not just seeing anything negative, seeing anything they do not like to hear, seeing any truth that you do not, they do not like to hear. That will get you into trouble right here in the United States. Well, and I think that, you know, people need to wake up. And so what can they do? Should they write their legislators? Should they boycott businesses? How do we get the word out about what the heck is going on over there? Well, there are a couple of things, right? We should, uh, in today's internet age, there are information out there available. So I would encourage your listeners to read more and pay attention to, you know, Google it up to pay attention to what's going on in Hong Kong. You know, check our uh, the Federalist website, check my articles. And also, um, so this is from information gathering. And also there is a legislation. It's called the Hong Kong Human Rights and the Democracy Act. Uh, it's already passed the U.S. House. And now it's in the Senate hands. So I would encourage your listeners to contact their senators from their home state and encourage them to pass this act. This act will hold Hong Kong, will hold Beijing accountable for protecting Hong Kong's semi autonomy and the freedom Hong Kongers has been has been enjoyed for the past more than a hundred years. So, so that's another. That's another way to care. So there is a legislation out there that, um, but we have, uh, it's in the hands of the U.S. Senate. So I would encourage your listeners to contact your senators to help pass this legislation. Well, I mean, so they definitely should do that. I mean, and the thing is, you just see story after story. You know, it's even disappointing. We have, you know, we're we're negotiating a trade agreement with them, and uh, our president is is praising them. Uh, while he's doing this, I know he's trying to get a good deal, but in the end, when you're praising an oppressive government, what are you saying to the people that live in that country? You're basically saying, I don't care about you. This is all about the dollars. Right. Um, I will take a step back. The, the, the president has said favorable things about the Chinese president. Right. But the, the president hasn't really said much nice things about China, the country. That's true. You're and right. You're right. So, so, the, so the the president has been very tough on the the trade disparities between the two countries. And I just read today from the uh, Southern China Morning Post that the president during uh, he he held a religious 
um, a religious freedom conference in uh, White House this week. He actually invited a Uyghur oh, activist good. Good. and a Falun Gong of Falun Gong practitioners to talk to him. It seems, based on the report, he's not, uh, he wasn't aware of how bad the situation about the Uyghurs in, you know, in Xinjiang, in the northwestern China right now. So, so part of it could be negotiation tactic, you know, playing a good cop and bad cop. And part of it could be, you know, he, he just wasn't aware. And I also have to say, um, from the administration's perspective, the, the administration has, has been very tough on China. Um, the vice president gave several very, um, tough speeches about China. And Secretary and, uh, of State has Secretary done so Pom- too. Yeah, I do remember that. Right. Yeah. Secretary Pompeo has said something really strongly about China. And also, we implement, the U.S. government implemented several rules. For example, they want all Chinese diplomats in the U.S. to register as a foreign agent. This is something has never, you know, have never happened before. So, so I would, I would take all of this into consideration. Right. Um, you know, to think about what, what this administration has done. Yeah, so, uh, so you're right. They have done stuff. It's, it's You know, you hear sound bites, and uh, sometimes you get carried away because it sounds like they're praising them. You know, just the other day there was a there was an article, and we're down to just, I can't believe it, just a little over a minute or so, but, you know, Chinese Catholics barricaded themselves in a church to prevent the demolition of a church. Uh, so, I mean, mm-hmm. if you're Catholic, if you're a faith-based person, whether they're trying to get rid of the Muslims who are Uyghurs or, you know, the bear, you know, trying to threaten to uh, knock down churches, Catholic churches, you know, the assault on faith is just unbelievable over there. Right. And which, you know, if I may bring up, I wish the Pope, Pope Francis would have, you know, I wish he would have done more. It's disappointing that he reached agreement with Beijing. Basically he accepted the Catholic bishops um, appointed by Beijing and, to me, that is a great deal of a disappointment. Oh, I agree. I agree. That's the, that is a terrible deal. Have that. You're negotiating with liars, and to think you're going to come out mm-hmm. on top that was that was a terrible deal. And basically, what he did was hang the faithful Catholics out to dry that live in China. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. If you're, um, I encourage your listeners to follow our cardinal Cardinal Zin. Uh, he's a he's a cardinal in Hong Kong, and he's very very outspoken. Uh, his last name is a Z E N, Cardinal Zen. Yep. And he has urged the Pope again and again and again not to sign, not to agree the deal. And he said exactly what you really just mentioned, because in China the truly faithful attend the underground churches, whether you're Catholic or Protestant, they attend the underground churches. What the Pope has done, there's no better way to see it. The Pope has sold out. Oh yeah, the yeah. He put a bullseye. He put a bullseye on the underground, underground church. churches yeah. in China. Again, can you uh, just say your website one more time? Yes, my website is HelenRowleySpeaks.com, and my Twitter handle is at HRowleySpeaks. All right. Well, thanks, Helen. I appreciate it.